0: Hey entrepreneurs, isn't Amazon just a unicorn in and of itself? And have you ever wondered, how does Amazon do it? What are the principles that they follow as an organization that have allowed them to have the explosive growth they have and just command the marketplace? Well, we have a treat in store for you today. We're hearing from John Rossman, who was part of the launch of the marketplace business at Amazon. He's an author of three books that center around how Amazon has done business, and he is a consultant and coach and keynote speaker as a result of his experience there. You're gonna love what you hear from John, including some of the tips from his books that are immediately actionable by every
1: entrepreneur listening, and I promise it'll make a difference. John, thanks for joining us here on the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Excited to learn a little bit more about yourself, what Rossman Partners is doing today, and uh, a lot about you know efficiency, effectiveness, uh, agility in today's world where you know the digital age is coming real fast, innovation is coming real fast, and you seem to be a, a sector expert in that area. So can you please tell us, Rich and I and our audience, a little bit more about your background, I guess more historically, uh, where you've come before starting Rossman Partners uh, a few years ago?
2: Great. Well, thank you for inviting me to be on um, and to talk to you and your audience. I'm John Rossman. Um, A long time ago, I was a leader at Amazon. So I had the opportunity to lead the launch and scaling of the marketplace business. We started that in 2002. Uh, I was at Amazon for almost four years. I also ran the enterprise services business at Amazon. That's where We had large enterprises like Toys R Us, Target.com, Marks & Spencer in the UK, Sears Canada, uh, where we ran their e-commerce infrastructure for them. I left Amazon in late 2005, and I was a partner at a um, management consulting firm for about 12 years, and about six or seven years into that, so 2011-2012, one of my clients at the Gates Foundation Uh, pulled me aside and said, hey, you do a really nice job of taking the little insights, the little techniques, strategies from Amazon and inserting them delicately into our work. I think you ought to write a book about this. Uh, And so the smartest thing I did was talk him into being my partner on these books. And so we've uh, done three books. Uh, One of the books we've done three times. We've got three editions of The Amazon Way, Amazon's Leadership Principles, and um, I just think Amazon is the most interesting company of the digital era. And I've really just become a, a student uh, now at this point. I was inside, but now I'm a student. And I think they're the most interesting company of the digital era. And it's, and it's partially because of what they do, but it's more because of how they do it. And I think we can all learn um, and uh, some things from them and question ourselves about, well, how do we think about that topic um, or that approach or or whatnot. and um, so today I do um, I run a small firm, Rossman Partners. We help companies with uh, dealing with complexity and uh, tackling kind of management's most important issues, especially relative to kind of um, innovation and new business models and digital transformation. And I do uh, a bunch of keynote speaking,
1: and um, it's great to be here. Awesome, I love that. So uh, I know one of my favorite books uh, of all time was, I believe it's called The Google Way, uh, or something similar to that. And but yet, you know, you're you're right. You think about Amazon and what started off as a bookstore, uh, you know, back you know a little bit before 2002. It wasn't that much longer before 2002 that this was a you know basically an online bookstore is now one of the largest companies in the world and uh, you know I was even talking to someone the other day John that you know their whole business is acquiring third party companies that sell on Amazon and they have 100 people in their M&A department I was like holy cow like this is ridiculous uh, how much commerce is being generated off this business so uh, wow I can't wait to dive into that
2: well, that it's, so that business—that's the marketplace business that your your uh, acquaintance is operating in. There's over two million sellers now in the marketplace. I was reading that the total GMV, so the total revenue that runs through the marketplace business today, uh, is over three hundred and fifty billion dollars. Uh, which would make it the 35th largest uh, country gross domestic product in the world. Wow, that's crazy! And so it, 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 it's it's a, it's an ecosystem at this point. It it influences international you know trade, um, and it and it really is uh, the big dog relative to to retail and marketplaces, and it's still growing it. You know, thirty to forty percent a year at that size, um, and so it, it it makes it makes retail a really competitive industry if you you want to uh, not solely leverage the marketplace business.
1: Yeah, understood. And and help me understand this Guy. I don't know if I know the answer. to This I know that Amazon is in Canada and the United States because I have relatives in Canada, but and I know it's not in China, right? Or is it? I mean, how, how, how well, far is the retail uh, uh, that, that, that,
2: that, That's a great question. It depends on what you mean by in uh, China. So uh, they were in China. They did an acquisition in China um, I that may have wrapped up in the past couple of years. But as a as a sourcer and supplier, they are all in China. So many of these third party sellers are in China. Um, And AWS is in China. And so uh, Amazon is in China. I actually I should know the answer to that. Like, is
1: there a retail Amazon site today in China? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. And AWS, it's a whole different conversation and how massive that is. Uh, and a lot of people just don't understand that Amazon basically powers most servers across the globe uh, for most companies, <laughs> probably including Google. Um, so that's not, 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 not Google, actually. Not yeah. Google? Okay. No. All right. <laughs> but all the other ones. <laughs> okay. Many others. Um, so, you know, I have to dive right here. I mean, well, first off, before I go there. Uh, what were the two other books? So one book was Amazon Way. What was the title of the two other books?
2: Yeah. So the, uh, the Amazon Way was the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second was called the Amazon Way on IoT, 10 Principles for Every Business Leader on the Internet of Things. And it's a business book written. I, I, I wrote it from a client engagement where we're we're building a digital strategy focused on uh, the Internet of Things. And what I couldn't find was a holistic, durable way to think through, well, how could the internet of things be useful for my business? So I wrote it for a business person to help them think through how IOT could impact their business, leveraging the the approaches and how Amazon would do it. So that's the Amazon way on IOT. And then I wrote a book um, called think like Amazon 50 and a half ideas to become a digital leader, released that in 2019. That is all of the mechanisms uh, from Amazon. So kind of the Amazon way and think like Amazon are are companion books. The Amazon way is a lighter weight read. You can read it on one plane ride with a glass of wine. It's kind of my story at Amazon and the leadership principles and, and starts you down the path of like, Hey, here's a bunch of, you know, tools and approaches. Think like Amazon. Think of that as like, you know, that's the full offensive playbook. Um, and each idea is laid out as a discrete, uh, independent item. And, uh, I, I, I lean on that book all the time in my client work, like, oh, let's look at, you know, idea 44 or, you know, 24 or something like that. And so they're nice companion books. I, yeah, I, also, I, mean, write, I, I also write a newsletter called the digital leader newsletter. It's on Substack. You can subscribe for free. I, I write beyond Amazon on my newsletter, but it's a it's a, it's a a newsletter, a weekly little tic, uh, trick
1: for innovators and change agents to help make change happen. So, John, our episodes usually last somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour. But, Rich, I'm thinking today we should just go for a marathon episode and go through all 50 ways to think like Amazon, one by one. What do you think? I think so. We should go for four or five hours here and just see <laughs> how many survivors we have at the end. I I mean, that that must be a a tremendous amount of for for those that are not
0: watching on YouTube. John just walked off screen. Our guest just walked off screen and abandoned us while we were talking about the idea of going four or five hours.
2: I I, I had to get ready. Yeah, I had to buckle up. Um. I'm
0: curious John you'd said the Amazon way that that has become foundational to your consulting practice and you reference you now. sometimes you'll go in and go hey number 44 or number 50 what are a few of the principles that you lean on most often in your consulting practice that show up in the Amazon way
2: Well um you know one th- it, there's a there's a few and it's very situational right um But certainly, um, leadership principle number three is invent and simplify. And it's the and simplify piece that I think is the trickiest and understated little superpower uh, from Amazon. At Amazon, when you were an operational leader, one of your key objectives was always, how am I going to scale? And scale meant something very specific at Amazon. That meant being able to do more whatever your, the each is, whatever the units were in your business, you had to be able to do more units on an improving economic uh, measure, right? And so whether that's you know, orders or clicks or uh, bits or whatever it is, scaling meant you had to be able to do more on an improving uh, u- unit cost. What happens at most companies is, Early in their, in their lifespan, they, they're, they're achieving that, right? They're growing and they're getting more efficient. But pretty quickly, you actually see that efficiency stall out. And to do more, they actually start losing scale, meaning th- th- their, their unit costs either flatten out or actually decrease. And that's because they don't engineer themselves. They don't think through how to make the simplest processes, the simplest procedures, the simplest data flows, uh, the simplest paths, the simplest you know culture possible in order to scale. And so, what we realized that the, the reason that principle is invent and simplify is because we realize that simplifying was as important and as hard to do as inventing and helping to scale our business, right? And so that's one that is always kind of like everybody thinks, ah, we're going to talk about invention or whatever. It's like, oh man, we're going to talk about how to knock out complexity in your business, how to understand the true cost of that and, and be a forcing function for addressing the topics and the issues and the, uncomfortable notions of like, Hey, if we're really going to get to simplicity, we have to fight through kind of these issues. So that's, that's one, Uh, there's a leadership principle called um, are right a lot. And um, you know, that one is about like leaders have to understand the details of their business and make good decisions. One of the ways you do that is through the metrics uh, that you have in your business. And I'm, a, I'm an industrial engineer by background. I When I went into Amazon, I thought I knew how to use metrics to evaluate and make change happen. It's like Amazon took me to the master's level course on that. And if there's one distinct thing I remember about the days at corporate Amazon, it was the, the routine of going to metrics meetings and leaders understanding their metrics we always designed our metrics to feature the problems not to feature the good news like um and i think that's a distinct orientation as you have to design your metrics to to feature the the signals and where the problems are and where there's customer dissatisfaction and then understanding the, the true root cause of what's behind those metrics and then debate how and when and on what rationale to take action right and so you know i always talk about make metrics a verb we have metrics to learn and we have metrics to improve we have to take action and that's actually quite different than how most cultures are set up most cultures are set up to have metrics that tell us basically that we're doing a good job everybody gets defensive when you start talking about problems um, because like for some reason that's a that's a that's a negative thing. We're there to make improvements, right? And most and most companies like aren't really interested in digging into root cause and making uh deeper substantial changes. And when you focus on a routine set of metrics like that and really looking for root cause, one of the things that does is it helps set you up for. The bigger ideas like um, that's that's where you get inspiration is from your metrics, because your metrics, if you do them right, really represent the customer experience and your operational efficiency. And so that's listening to your business through your metrics gives you insights for ways you can serve your customers bigger and broader than the way you serve them today um, and um, how to drive scale and operational imp- Um, improvements. And then maybe the last one I'll mention is um, the leadership principle about bias for action. And it's that just recognizing that speed in business matters and that there's um, one of the ways companies slow down is through their decision-making processes. Amazon has a a uh, pretty simple approach, like recognizing that speed is important. They talk about one-way door decisions versus two-way door decisions. A one-way door decision is a decision that's impossible or nearly impossible to reverse. Um, what do we need to do with one-way door decisions? We need to slow down, we need to debate them thoroughly, we need to debate them calmly. A two-way door decision is actually one that we can make, we can test and we we can reverse it. And if you just recognize that there are one-way door situations and two-way door situations, and the real secret to this is how to look at what look, appears to be a one-way door situation, and is there a way that I can break it down into smaller testable components? That's the that's the agile mindset, right? Of of test and learn, test and learn, and break it into a series of two-way door decisions. But just overall, like um, trying to fight. You know, and this is a bigger company issue, but just fighting bureaucracy, slowing down um, and encouraging healthy debate when we're having the debate about the issue. And then um, the 13th leadership principles about um, disagree, but commit. And that's how we discuss things. Right. Um, We vigorously uh, debate topics. We start we lead with customer. We lead with data. But when the decision maker makes a decision, we all wholeheartedly work to make that decision successful. So those are some of the things, depending upon the situation, that I'm always kind of grabbing towards. There's a bunch of others, but those are a few to start off the conversation.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. I want to clarify uh, the second one. You said, is that our right a lot? Yes, sir. And is that R-I-G-H-T or W-R-I-T-E?
2: It it could be either, but it's A-R-E uh right comma a lot and and it basically says like leaders have to be uh, have to have good judgment and understand the details of the business well how do you do that it's by studying your business through your metrics so it's like our right like it's our right to got uh, it uh, a r e space right they have good judgment is what that means they are right a lot
0: Ah, got it, got it, got it. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, The first one you went through, the invent and simplify, I particularly find interesting, and I think some of our listeners may as well. If you had a continuum of uh, making things too complex or making things too simple, I am definitely on the making things too complex side. Uh, I know that about myself, and I try to work to simplify knowing that, My default is to make things thorough, uh, which may make things complex. What are some, what are the, what's the simplified way for me to think about how to simplify? Like what are the rules of simplification when I take an idea or a thought or an innovation, what are the filters I need to run that through that will consistently yield simple?
2: Um, I think it was Mark Twain uh, that said, uh, I didn't have the time to write a short letter. So I wrote you a long letter instead. Right. And, um, and so the habit of writing out your concepts and working to make those as direct, obvious, you know, the, the attribute you're, you're seeking is clarity. Clarity is a, is a function of both completeness of thought and um, simpleness of communication. It, it's as you were pointing out. It's, it's relatively easy to to write it out long or to talk about it long. It's it's a real skill to be able to take a complex topic and talk about it in a simple manner. So Amazon has this culture of writing, and so whether it's you know when we're um, doing a correction of error, like what happened and explaining the situation or a proposal, a project, like, hey, we want to do something new. They write those things out. And there's a a set of techniques I go through in the book around narratives, future press releases, FAQs. The core underneath them all is about um, clarity of communication is kind of the first goal, right? But by forcing us to write them out, then others can contribute to that, you can debate it and you can move it forward kind of as the idea gains clarity and gains agreement and, and, and choices are made relative to that. It's not a static uh, conversation, but the documents help to capture that. Then one of the great things you can do if you have a well-written document about a situation, a proposal, what you're going to do in the future, you can audit against that, right? So now I have the ability to recall exactly what we said uh, we were going to do or what our hypothesis were and test against that. And so, you know, writing is uh, an absolute superpower. Uh, Bezos talks about this in one of his shareholder letters. And one of the recommendations I would make is read, read the Amazon shareholder letters like, all like essentially 27 of them now. They are they are fantastic. Um, and in one of the shareholder letters, Bezos talks about this curious culture of writing and that it's hard, but you can learn it. And he equates it to learning how to do a perfect handstand. You can learn how to do a perfect handstand. Probably takes you about six months. It's helpful to get a coach to help give you feedback and coaching on it, you know, and everything, but you can learn to do it and And writing, I think, for clarity of thought on more complex topics is the superpower that is um, really helps differentiate and bring others along with you.
0: Yeah, so I did very nice expansion on that. So the writing is to force clarity of thought by the innovator. It allows collaboration from others. You didn't say this, but I know uh, based on the conversation so far, uh, it allows it to scale because it's something that can be passed along to many people. And it at the end allows you to audit action against what was intended and not that the action needs to follow it exclusively. But if there are things that were deviated, did they work? Why, why not? And have a writing on that to be able to crystallize the learning.
2: Exactly that point. So that you learn and it helps. It's a kind of an accountability force forcing tool. And the curious thing about Amazon meetings, when we have a meeting to evaluate a, a, a situation represented by a paper, meetings start with 15 to 20 minutes of silence when, you know, people read these documents and then conversation ensues. Right. So it's a really it forces. It's not just a forcing function for the writer or writers of the document. It's also a forcing function for the people that are participating in the review of it because they have to grok this document, deeply understand this document. Um, And so it's a better preparation tool for them to be able to give appropriate feedback um, to a complex situation.
0: Interesting. So meetings start. If there's somebody who wrote something on an innovation, the meeting starts with reading it, silence, for 15, 20 minutes. That's done in the meeting in the Amazon way. That is not done as preparation for the meeting. Why is that taking meeting time to do something that could be done individually?
2: Uh, what what what's your experience in the success rate of sending out a pre-read to a group of people, and that everybody actually does their homework before coming to
1: class? Hold on, <clears throat> let's let's both think about that one, Rich, to see if we come close to the same response. What the success rate is? Uh, yeah, how many how many people will do the actual proper prep before the meeting on a percentage basis? Well, and I'm going to go at uh,
0: at mass scale versus with a leadership team. Um, sure. so yeah, I have a percentage in mind. All right. I'll say 25
1: at most. I was going to go 30. Okay. And yeah. it, 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 so it, I it, get it. And that's why we
2: read them. That's why you read them in a meeting, right? Because it's it, 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 like, assume people haven't done their homework. It's going to be a better conversation. Um, and people are going to be better equipped. Now it's always great if people think through things multiple times, but you know, especially, you know, executives tend to get busy. If we're briefing on a situation, let's just take the time in that meeting to read it. But that the also that, that, that forces the document. It has to be tight. It has to be have clarity. It has to be simple. Right. Um, so that somebody in 15 minutes can actually get the whole co- the, the concept and what you're asking at this point in time. Right. So a, a narrative document is written to a specific purpose. Like I'm informing somebody or a group of people about something. So I have to both explain it and I have to be clear about like, well, what, what's the question that's in front of us right now? Right. Is it, is it just educational or is it like, Hey, it's commitment time or we're debriefing on results. Like you have to write it for a specific purpose.
1: And I think too, Rich, from my experience, what ends up happening is without the writing and without the silence to reading it, you have a meeting to talk about an idea. And then the outcome of the meeting after an hour is, okay, go, go research it and put it together and come back. And then you come back and then people don't do their homework and read it. And you get in this vicious cycle of waste, which is interesting because, you know, I, I've been thinking about the same question you had, which is, well, hey, that's taking more time than meeting now. instead of your meeting 30 minutes. It's maybe an hour, but the meeting seems complete. Uh, and the concept is complete at that stage because of the writing.
0: And I feel like the concept of preparation in uh, in the world of utopia, uh, where everything works out and everybody does what is optimal, doing it before the meeting is a no-brainer. But in the world of reality, on are people going to give it 15, 20 minutes of silent time reading and focusing when they're on their own? While an email is coming in, while a text message just came in, while there's a fire burning somewhere in their business, reality is probably not. Um, Last question for me, and I know, John, I'm sure you have follow up questions on a few things, so I apologize. Last question for me in closure of this topic on writing Is there a formula or in your book, The Amazon Way, are there sections that are recommended that need to be included? To have a uh, crafted writing that results in clarity, and it, yeah. It, okay,
2: yeah, so I I do break down each type of the documents like the narratives, the future press releases, the FAQs, and whatnot. But um, on the narratives, there actually isn't a structure because there isn't a set structure because it's very dependent upon well, what's the topic at hand, right? Is it is it your business plan for the year is it a new innovation idea is it a correction of error situation and even if we were to say like oh it's an innovative idea well where are we at relative to that concept right and so there isn't at amazon but i i've i've worked with so many companies on this i understand how valuable it is to have kind of a a table of contents and, um, you know, some guidelines, uh, as a starting toolkit and stuff. So, um, I've developed some tools like that to help, Teams that I work with. One of the things I love about this this habit of writing is it scales. You can do it as just an individual professional, and your thinking will be better. Your ability to explain things will be better. You can do it as a team. You can do it as a business unit. You can do it just on this one topic, right? Um, And so you don't have to go. All in to start this process. You do need to explain it to others. And that's why I think having a book like this is helpful. Like, hey, this is why we're doing this, you know, and everything. But you you don't have to go all in to start this habit.
1: Yeah, that makes it makes a lot of sense. And I think even you mentioned something very key there. Even if you're doing it for yourself. Uh, and this is a, this is something I learned from one of our former guests, Dr. Julie Bell. Is write for twenty minutes every day, and as I do that, my thought processes start coming out. And it's like, yeah, you know what? That took twenty minutes of my day that maybe I could have been answering emails or doing text messages. But the value I get from just thinking, writing, you know, laying out my entire thought process. I love that 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 quote from Mark Twain as well. Right? Didn't have enough time to write a short letter, so I wrote a long one just to make it clear and tight and, and concise. So. I love that. I just want to recap here just for a second. Number three is invent and simplify. Yes, sir. Our write a lot is what number? Number four. Number four. Okay. Got it. And then there was one about bias for action. Yep. What was that? Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. And then I had disagree, but commit number 13. Number 13. Is there one around writing? That's a number.
2: No, because no, that, that's a mechanism, right? Got it. And so, so, um, understand the difference between kind of a principle, like what, Hey, here's the general concept or what goodness looks like. And then there's practices, like how do we accomplish that? Right. And sometimes practices or mechanisms go across, help support multiple uh, principles. Um, So like uh, uh, the first leadership principle is customer obsession, right? It's probably the most famous at Amazon, but it is just, you know, one of the set Um, that principle like hey there's all sorts of ways that we bring customer obsession to life in our business but the principle is about always putting the customer at the center of everything we do and that we uh, work to build trust and deep insights in them Um, that's the principle how we do it there's lots of little ways we do that.
1: Okay. Got it. And is there a principle around the meeting concept you articulate or is that just more a philosophy?
2: Uh, um, A a practice uh, and a philosophy relative to that. And it really supports a number of the principles um, around our right a lot. There's a principle called dive deep, which is similar to our right a lot. um, Actually, Um, there's a principle, the, the 14th leadership principle is called deliver results. That principle um, definitely drives kind of meeting behavior uh, and stuff. And so there there is not a principle about um, meetings.
1: Got it. What's number, what's Dive Deep, by the way, out of curiosity? Deep? Oh yeah, that is
2: number uh, 12.
1: Sorry, I'm testing the, uh, your you know, just memory of <laughs> what number these all are, but I'm just curious. So um, I, I want to hit back on bias for action now that I kind of get a few of these, because I, I, I'm wondering, you know, I, I love what you talked about in terms of, you know, Speed in business matters. One door decision, two door decisions. Wow. Uh, you know, this one, you know, hit me pretty hard where I made a a fairly quick one door way decision and it, it was extremely costly. Uh, you know, you know, basically lost, lost the company, right? Lost, lost my job, lost the company. I mean, the, the one door decision, right? Um, And, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, when you think about that one door versus two door, what you said about it that I loved was not only going careful and slow, because I think that's the part of my learning was, okay, go slower next time. But I also loved about it was make it in smaller digestible pieces so that we can pilot test as more of a two way door decision, (laughs) see how it works and then, then make the call. I think that really applies to, you know, all entrepreneurs, all businesses, all the time. Uh, But sometimes it's hard. You want to go so fast. You want to grow so quick. So how did that, you know, this may fit as well to the, you know, not being defensive. And somebody thinks this decision is the right one. That one's not. And you talked about this and the metrics are in the r right a lot is, you know, have healthy debate. How was that handled at Amazon when you thought we should make this decision? I thought we should make this decision. Or, you know, there was a debate around the the metrics. Um, How was conflict handled at Amazon?
2: Well, uh, I would say, it, to some degree, it was encouraged if it's based on like doing the right thing for the business, right? And and so there's kind of you know, I, I'm not an expert on this topic, but I'm kind of guessing there's kind of like debating the situation, conflict on what happened um, versus like some sort of personal conflict, you know, or or something like that, right? And so, and and having data. Uh, and leading with customer obsession, um, that just helps us to have healthier, you know, conflict in those conversations. One of the things that you noticed at Amazon was, um, I mean, so there's a leadership principle kind of relative to this. It's it's called earn trust. And it reads leaders listen attentively, speak candidly and treat others respectfully. They are vocally self-critical and, um, uh, even when doing so is awkward or embarrassing, so a good leader, one of the ways that you encourage healthy debate and conflict is by saying, "Well, here's my prob- part of this situation." Assuming it's a fairly complex situation, most con- situations are, right? Yep. Um, or, or it just gets dealt with, right? If we're ever gonna meet about something, naturally, it's a it's a complex situation. But a good leader starts with, well, here's the details of what happened. And here's what I did or my team did, um what we should have done better, what the root cause is, or something like that. And so I, I I remember routinely hearing um people at Amazon they would start with like, "Well, my team sucked this week. Here's what happened, you know, and everything, And here's what we're doing about. and so when when you open the kimono and lead with that, guess what? That makes it a, a safe, environment for everybody go yeah this was my part of this problem you know and everything right like here's something we should have done better and so being self-critical is such a healthy thing to do that's how you grow you know and everything right like um what was the movie whiplash uh do you guys remember that movie it was several years ago won an academy award it was about this uh, uh, uh world-class young drummer and his abusive uh, teacher and and one of the closing lines um was uh, the teacher trying to rationalize like why he had been so abusive and everything, but he go- he goes he goes, um, nobody ever the, the, the two most damaging words in the English language are good job, you know and everything right and 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 the lesson behind that is you don't learn by you know patting yourself on the back. you learn by being critical about a situation and thinking deep on it and asking, what can we do to improve?"
0: John, where's yeah. the line between that and propagating a negative culture that all We're, we focus I, I, on I, I, are problems and failures and we don't acknowledge? Like, I can see that in its extreme form being a real drag on looking forward to coming to work.
2: Uh, it, like any A good thing Uh, taken to any extreme, it can be a negative thing. So yeah, you do need to find the moments to, you know, recognize uh, accomplishments and recognizing success. But if what we typically do is just tout what we did well versus like what we didn't do well. But I think the most damaging thing that can seep in here is sarcasm, right? Sarcasm is what in my experience, and this has nothing to do with Amazon at all, but in my experience, is when you become sarcastic in those conversations, that's when the real poison starts uh, in in a meeting and in a team.
1: I would agree. I mean that, that <laughs> there's no doubt that when sarcasm starts jumping in and people are all over each other from that perspective versus the respect. and you know I, I love <clears throat> you know, when you think about this whole KPI side of things, you're right. In most organizations, the leaders are like, let's put together these KPIs, because these are the ones that make us look good. And let's go to the meeting and share them. And then what ends up happening is somebody who knows a little bit more is like, well, wait a minute, what about this KPI? And they're like, well, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and then, they, then they feel like they're on the defensive because they didn't have that prepared versus... Um, you coming to the meeting with you know what? Here are two KPIs we did we did really good with, but here are two KPIs we really sucked at. And here's what, here's what we tried. You guys have any advice for us? Like how can it's a whole different dynamic? And I, I love to give this story, uh, John, that, that happened to me once. Um, I was in it was in the three PL industry and. Um, we, we had a meeting with the customer and we just really hadn't performed well. And the team was working through like, how are we going to present our meet our QBR our quarterly business review to this customer? Because we, we sucked. And and they were trying to put together all these metrics that made them look good. And, you know, we talked about, I don't know if you've seen, speaking of movies, have you ever seen nine mile, the M M&M and M movie? I have seen yeah uh, okay. eight mile eight miles. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh, added miles. a mile to the movie yeah. here. You yeah. always go the ninth mile. It was guys. so good. I added a mile, but, <laughs> but, but in the in the eight mile movie, when he got to the end and he was in this rap contest against this other contestant, he was going first. And what he decided to do was take away his his opponent's complete you know speech. So Eminem went on and he talked about his mom and his her drug problems and the fact that he didn't have a job and he lost his girlfriend or whatever he talked about. And he did such a good job that when the opponent came on, the opponent had nothing else to say, hmm. and it ruined his whole rap. And he you know right. and he won obviously this this contest. Hmm. Well, as, as a leader, if you can come into a meeting and be like, look, here's where I've really sucked uh, and or our team has really sucked and, and I'm owning it, but help me, you know, you, this is why we're having this meeting is to share ideas and, and so we can get better at it. Wow, that self-critical ownership uh, really takes anybody else who would ever try and attack you, just their defenses go completely down. And they're like, Okay, they, they get it, uh, you know, and it just changes the dynamic.
2: And it puts you into a problem solving mindset versus I have to prove to this person that it's not, you know, it wasn't good. Right. Cause that's typically yeah. what happens to me like that is like one side's trying to spin it as a positive and the other's going, no man, like here's, where's all these problems. Well, then you're, 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 you, you have low trust and you're, you're kind of trying to um, uh, attack in one way, the other side versus like, hey here's the balanced and fair facts of the situation Mm -hmm. then you turn it into problem solving and that's how trust and partnership is built now you do have to make progress on those things right like you have to take that meeting and take it down to root cause into actions and proceed on those actions uh and everything right but if that's the wash rinse repeat improve cycle that a really healthy environment that's operational excellence at its core. Um, that's, that's the healthy cycle that we want.
1: Yeah. I love that, John. Uh, you know, you can see that I'm obsessed by these 50, so I'm gonna have to get the book so I can get every single one of them down. And Richard asks you, which are the ones that you use most commonly with the entrepreneurs that you work with or the businesses you work with? I want to ask you a little bit of a different question. Like when you say number one customer obsession, okay, get it. You don't have to talk more about it. I think I know what that means. And, you know, you can go through a few of these, but when you, when you say, you know, are right a lot, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's this one? What would be one of the principles that we didn't cover so far that is so unique to Amazon that you've never really seen anywhere else? Is there one that pops out?
2: Well, um, we kind of mentioned this, um, but the principle of half the backbone disagreeing commit And I'll read the whole principle to you. It says, uh, leaders are obligated to respectfully challenge decisions when they disagree, even when doing so is uncomfortable or exhausting. Leaders have conviction and are tenacious. They do not compromise for the sake of social cohesion. Once a decision is determined, they wholly commit. That principle is loaded with little things that you need to to consider there Um, But that that notion of social cohesion is an important line, like Mm -hmm. like what happens in most companies like, well, we're we're friends, we're colleagues. We need to be respectful. Um, And it becomes that becomes hard to make make it easy for me to hold you accountable. Right. That's what social cohesion says is like, hey, we're going to kind of relax our standards because we wanna get along. And this just helps recognize like, hey, that's going on. So find ways to hold each other accountable. Uh, One of the little ways uh, that's led to some really big businesses at Amazon of doing that is um, when you build a tool or a capability, internal customers for that tool, you're gonna have more social cohesion because we're teammates, they're gonna be less demanding customers. Take a tool, take a capability that's an internal tool, turn it inside out, have external customers to it because external customers are always demanding. They're always going to tell you what's on their mind. Right. So Amazon uh, has figured this out to it, to to a scale of like, hey, one of the ways to get critical feedback to not. Um, always be to be be critical of our own capability is to take tools, turn them inside out, have external users, external developers using these. That's how we're going to get critical feedback, and it helps avoid social cohesion.
1: Yeah, I love that. And, and Rich, over the past you know month or two, you've asked a few of our guests some, how would you define emotional intelligence? How would you define strategy? Uh, you know, one of the things that John mentioned earlier that I just want to come back to before we move on from from this topic is uh, you define scale in a way that I loved. Do more on an improving economic measure. That was pretty elegant uh, in terms of how to describe scale. So I, I love that. If if I move off of this and I'm going to go into no man's land here just for a second because I'm just curious, I have a hypothesis that's out in left field. Uh, That I've heard some people talk about uh, related to Amazon, that uh, Amazon is going to come up with their own cryptocurrency, maybe the AMZ coin, uh, because the one way if you look at Amazon in terms of improving and scaling and simplifying is that everybody pays for their goods on Amazon with a credit card. And Visa, America Express, you know, Discover, whatever, you know, that costs Amazon two and a half percent, maybe is their rate, three percent, you know, worst case, that's billions and billions of dollars, yet they're trying to scrape, you know, pennies off the toothbrush. Uh, Do you believe that's coming in the future? I do. In fact, I've
2: been, um, I don't know if it's their own coin or just the use of cryptocurrency, um, but I do believe that Amazon um will enable uh crypto I think it'll be a big turning moment for the entire ecosystem they there have been some job postings at Amazon that hint at this and I am a little surprised at um that they're not a, they're not clearly a leader um, at this uh, at this point
1: yeah it is interesting right because if you think they I'm sure that everybody's thinking the same thing in that regard um, but it's it's just gonna be amazing if and when that does happen the the i don't know the 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 savings that they would have and the billions and billions of dollars but but then what that means that whole you know crypto space and environment when it has that much mass adoption so just a wild and question out there in left field, so i just I appreciate you answering that Good question. Um, so right now, let's move to your current business specifically today. So what kind of entrepreneurs do you work with today? Do you do do you do coaching of, of individual entrepreneurs or do you do uh, strategic uh, consulting for companies? What exactly do you do today as a practice beyond speaking in your books?
2: Yeah, so um, my advisory work where I work with uh, a company or a leader over a longer period of time, kind of sometimes it's as an advisory board member, uh, whatnot, that tends to be Smaller and mid-sized businesses, and it's typically about strategy. Um, the consulting work where we run projects tends to be with bigger companies, uh, as I mentioned, oftentimes kind of tackling complexity at its core, helping to achieve scale, and thinking through you know digital transformation and real use cases to create value from digital transformation. Those are kind of the two categories um that i work with one tends to be uh with smaller companies and and i have a ton of flexibility in how i work uh there um and then one tends to be bigger companies in consulting projects
0: when you say you work on strategy can you dig in there a bit
2: yeah i mean uh specifically thinking through both you know how are we going to win? What's the superpower we're going to give to a customer, as well as thinking through, like, what's the theory of change? Like, how does adoption happen, Uh, is typically the, the, you know, you can envision the future state of like, oh, you've got this, this flywheel spinning, but like, what do we do to actually uh, create that momentum? And so, you know, strategy is the process of deliberately saying yes to a few things and no to a whole bunch of really good ideas, right? And it's that saying no to a bunch of really good ideas is, I think, the hardest and most important part of strategy and staying true and deliberate to like, okay, this is the the specific theory that we have about the user, the market, and what's going to gain adoption. And then helping to just stay true to that specific point of view until we've tested it. And it's time to learn and adjust, but you don't do that casually. You do that, you know, very deliberately.
0: Thank you for that. How, one of the things you made me think of when you said, how does adoption happen is I look at our system within Certipro painters and look at, there are times where we struggle with adoption And one of the things that we struggle with adoption is communication. You send an email, not everybody reads it. Uh, Not everybody wants a text message. They'll hit block. Uh, Not everybody goes to the intranet in order to see what the latest news is that they should be up to speed on. Like So that's a real challenge, I think, not just for our company, but for a lot of companies. What lessons do you have to offer about communication and adoption internally? That maybe you learned from Amazon.
2: One of Bezos' real superpowers is his staying on point over a long period of time, and these principles are part of the way that he has stayed on on point over a long period of time. And so he is, you know, that there's this concept of a uh, a CRO, a chief for repeating officer, right? And a chief repeating officer just they they say the select critical important element time and time and time again. So it kind of comes back to simplicity a little bit, which is which is which is staying on point. And so you really have to pick your points up front really, really carefully, because you, you don't want to be changing them um, a whole lot. And so consistency and simplicity of that point making it you know like a a good example from Amazon is Bezos always talked about like it's day one here at Amazon right Um, it's not one of their leadership principles but it, it, it is kind of a default mantra at Amazon and it just says like we are willing to take risks. We are always going to be leaning forward in exploring uh, and inventing, and we understand that sometimes that's inefficient because you're you're trying to be an inventor, um, at, and and it's just an optimistic attitude for the organization. Well, he's he's been talking about day one for twenty years now, you know, and everything, right? That is an example of very strategic communication that over time makes a tremendous impact in the organization.
0: Great example. Thank you for that. In conclusion of our conversation, which has been excellent, what would be something that you either want to double down on that we talked about that you feel all entrepreneurs as listeners should really hear, or what would be a concept that we haven't hit that you feel would be a value for them to hear now?
2: Well, I think, you know, the one that we've talked about, we've hit a couple times, but I think writing uh, is a real superpower to clarity of thought and uh, bringing that to others. And so just in whatever fashion um, you write out your concepts and make them super direct, super simple, that will help you make better decisions and communicate them to others. And, you know, there's a quote that, you know, Communication isn't for the sender, it's for the receiver, right? Like you have to understand, like you need your goal in communicating is getting it understood by other people. Um, And that uh, I think we oftentimes overlook, like we we put the burden on the receiver and, and it's the sender's obligation
1: to make communication great. Thank you, John. Much appreciate your time today. You bet. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode.
0: John, the takeaways that I got around the importance of writing concepts out, Um, it's so, I mean, talk about simple. And that was one of the themes that came up with John, our guest. But talk about simple. like Man, I almost feel silly for not writing more stuff out or asking other people to write more stuff out when he describes that. It is so simple, stupid clarity by the writer allows for collaboration of others. Uh, It allows scalability of that concept and you can audit afterwards against the action on it.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's simple, stupid, Rich. I think it's hard. I think it's laborious. Um, I think it's uh, difficult because people don't have the discipline. Mm. Uh, they're, they're putting out fires. I don't have time to write out. You guys should just be able to understand what I'm saying to you right now. And we should be able to go ahead and move forward and do it. What I think Bezos has done with Amazon that John clearly articulates is the discipline. And once that discipline is enforced, you would feel like a complete idiot. If you went to a meeting with these people and didn't have it properly all written out and reviewed maybe by a peer friend or coach or whatever, you would just feel completely embarrassed that you were ill-prepared for that meeting. And you just sat there and did a 10-minute monologue about this idea you had and then said, okay, let's do a Q&A session. They'd be like, what? Are you kidding yeah, me? It, exactly. It's, it, it's the discipline that you're willing to accept in your company. Like I'll give you a good example. Right. I'd love to have Cameron Harold on this conversation and have a debate about meetings suck. Right. Uh, Compared to for the first 15, 20 minutes of the meeting, you're just going to read and then we're going to have the meeting and the meeting is actually an hour and a half long versus, you know, the no meeting climate. Right. Mm. Uh, It's completely different perspective, different philosophies. I think the reason why it's not done in companies is just the discipline. It's Mm. a lot of work. It's tough. It, it, you, it, it's hard for the leaders to enforce it. It's hard for the people to actually do it. A lot of people will claim, well, I'm not a good writer. I mean, you can have so many different issues come around it, but if you can create that culture, wow, now I get it.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate the pushback on the simple, stupid. I would only double down on simple, not easy. The idea of, hey, can you put that in writing? That's super simple. How long did that take me? It took like five seconds, but yes, the request of somebody else and actually following through on that not easy and not easy to embed that culture of the value of even clarifying thoughts and writing. I think you know I experience a lot of people who would prefer not to clarify thoughts and writing um, because there may be risk associated to it. You are actually owning here's what I say, here's what I think, and it reduces a collaborative process where you can contradict yourself to actually have something in writing. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not simple, stupid in its execution. And then to go to, when I pushed back on our guest on, hey, how come you don't do that as prep? I mean, what a beautiful, I mean, just the reality of, and what I wrote down, my takeaway was, hey, prep really isn't going to happen at the level you want it to for a meeting or for a training. I would, however, encourage our coaches, when you do one-on-one coaching, there should be prep on behalf of the learner. And that's one-on-one. And it's so learner driven that I bet that person for the coaching event is going to do the prep. But when it's one to many and it's a training or a meeting, probably not going to happen. You should open up the space as our guest, John suggested.
1: Yeah. But even in that environment, Rich, and a coach. Co- coachee relationship. If the coach doesn't have an expectation of discipline that the coachee is going to come prepared and hold them accountable to that, it doesn't happen. There's a yeah. lot of coaching relationships. I'm in some of them right now where I don't really reinforce their prep and therefore they come ill prepared and I accept it. And you know, so it, it really is the culture you're you creating. Got soft, John. Is wh- I don't, I don't remember working nope. with you that way in 25 years. Did you get soft? I did. I did. But you know what? <laughs> As, as far as I'm concerned, right, uh, it's it's the discipline that you want to create in your organization or in your relationship. And that varies. You know, yeah. it could be very strict in your organization that this is what you do. And if not, the call is canceled and, you know, I'm not going to coach you anymore or whatever. Like maybe that's what happened right. in your environment, right? I mean, I could, again, I'll go back to the Amazon way. You know, you show up in a meeting and you're ill prepared. You don't have anything written out. The meeting's over. The meeting's probably canceled the day before because you're that embarrassed. Hey, I'm not ready for this meeting. Um, And so I love the discipline and each entrepreneur needs to decide what discipline they want. What clarity do they want in their organization? And what I loved about what, again, what Bezos has done, but what John has articulated here is, look, these 50 principles that are in my book, they haven't changed. Like they've been the same for 20 years. The consistency of the chief repeating officer, just repeating stuff over and over and over again. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we're doing it. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we're doing it. If you didn't, if you weren't able to survive in that culture of of these 50 principles, you would leave. And it goes back to that selection process, that magnet, your, your processes are going to magnetize people who are willing to write it down that do want to have prepared, you know, statements before the meetings, it's going to magnetize who you're actually looking for versus, you know, and also repel those you don't want to have versus that people in your organization are just going to be ill-prepared all the time.
2: Mm.
0: You know, our, our guest, John spoke to what you just uh, brought up from the episode, he spoke to that as a superpower. Staying like Jeff Bezos, superpower, superpower is to stay on point over a long period of time. I think there are an awful lot of leaders that, and me included, that can easily fall into a trap of feeling like, well, I said that, it should have been heard, and i'm ready to move on and staying on the same point uh there's a concern about being overly repetitive uh boring redundant not hearing something new and then there's the kind of the new shiny object syndrome when it comes to incorporating new business philosophies into the business that doesn't create simplicity and clarity it creates confusion so if I buy in it's a superpower to stay on point over a long period of time if you have the right principle that's enduring keep reinforcing those right principles
1: yeah exactly and that's why I can't wait to read all 50 of them uh, i really want to dig into every single one of them and i and i did the same thing there's a book similar book uh, written about the google way and, you know, some of the principles of Google are different than the ones at Amazon, but they, they're so such a big part of that culture of what you create as an organization that it becomes who you are and it becomes easy to repeat. Even if Jeff isn't there anymore, it's so cascaded throughout his organization. I love it. The other part that you're talking about, Rich, is, you know, Amazon's a unicorn. I mean, the growth that they've had has been unbelievable. But to know that they would look at one-door decisions and two-door decisions and they would go slower. To think about a company like Amazon going slower is kind of you know doesn't really make a lot of sense, but when they do go fast is when they've fully tested something. It's been beta. They made a two-way decision. Let's just try this, and they they beta tested. They have the KPIs around it. They beat it to death. Then when they know they have something that really really works, then they push the accelerator pedal and it goes right. I think way too many times entrepreneurs and I, I've caught myself too many times doing this is you would make such a big decision without making it smaller, bite-sized pieces of the beta test. You'd make such a big decision, you'd be so pot-committed to that big decision, you can't get out of it. And it drains you, it drains your energy, it drains your money, it drains drains so many different components of it. So to hear that a large company like Amazon can go slow and make careful, calculated decisions and beta test things in smaller bites versus always go big or go home, uh, is a lesson I think all entrepreneurs can learn. Patient ambition.